Our world started with a data explosion marked by an exponential growth in the volume, velocity, and variety of data being piped in and out of organizations. However, despite this new wealth in technology and data, businesses had never been so challenged to drive revenue growth. Plagued by dark, siloed, unusable data, rendering their go-to-market motions useless. Until one day, the most courageous data heroes took back control of their company's most valuable asset transforming their customer data sets from a burden to a true system of insight, capable of automating sales motions, delivering personalized marketing programs at scale, and driving predictable revenue growth for their business. Welcome to the Data Heroes podcast powered by Ringlead. Hello, everybody. Welcome to another version of Talk Data to Me. We've got a very exciting guest here today with us. It's Justin Norris. He's the Senior Solutions Architect for Percuto, and we're very happy to have you here today. Hey, John. How are you? I'm doing very well, Justin. How are you? I'm very good. Thanks for having me. Yeah, so Justin and I, and I have known each other for, I don't know, must have been six, seven years now. A long time bet. Yeah. Yeah. In this ecosystem, right, especially at the same company, I can't say that for many relationships I have, uh, you know. I remember looking at Ringlead uh, at my last in-house gig, and that would have been like 2012 or something like that. So going back a very long time. Exactly. Well, it's good to, good to see that not all of uh, the people in our space are skating from job to job, but yeah. Um, yeah. You know, happy to have you here today. Yeah, that's great. So, um, you know, we always like to start out the interview by just getting to know you um, before we jump into any strategy. And, um, you know, I'm interested in, in hearing your backstory on how you became a data hero. Well, I never really thought of myself in those terms, John. But, um, you know, I, I started out more from a, a pure marketing background, Um with you know, kind of some email marketing thrown in, but really thinking more about uh, marketing strategy and uh, product development, that sort of thing, and then moved into sort of the general whirlwind of marketing at a startup. So being the first marketing hire, very small company, I think I was employee number five or so, and so really wearing pretty much every hat in marketing and little bit of sales, a little bit of customer success, a little bit of product design, like, you know, the whole, just doing whatever, whatever hole needed to be filled, I would, uh, I would fill that hole and, and make things happen. Uh, but as part of that, introduced Marketo very early on because automation and scalability and all of that was a big focus for us there. So reviewed all the marketing automation platforms at the time, this is back in 2011. So a lot of them that I was looking at don't even exist anymore and selected Marketo, which turned out to be a pretty good choice. And from there, just started building out, you know, that infrastructure and sort of identified, it took me a few years to realize that I was more of an operations person because I was still, you know, writing copy and running ad campaigns and doing all that stuff. The thing that I really started gravitating towards was what you might consider operations or, you know, technology and infrastructure. I was fortunate to work with a lot of other smart people there. Um, on the product side, some BI developers. And that's where really the, the power of the data came in. And I think um, the data itself was probably more of a means to an end. And what I really liked doing was was using the data to create these automated scalable experiences, whether that was more on the marketing side or like 
piping data into CRM to enable customer success use cases or you know, actually improving the customer experience through data. Um, and then moving into the consulting space where you know data is a, is a huge part of what we do and um, even moving more into you know, the master data management, the data governance and a lot of the things that are very important to people. So it's kind of grown along organically in that way, but at the heart of it always for me, I think, is you know, when you can use data to um, to create a better customer experience or just do cool things that you couldn't do before. That's sort of the part that, that gives me some joy in this job. Yeah, absolutely. So if you were not operational or in the career path that you have chosen today, what would you be doing? You know, I've often thought that I wouldn't mind to be an architect if I could have gone over it from scratch. And I think it, I like, um, I like specifying and, and figuring things out and saying, you know, this is how this thing should come together. These are all the pieces. This is the best way to do it. So I like systems. And today I apply that sort of systems thinking in terms of technology and, and processes for uh, revenue operations. But in some ways you can equally apply it to um, a structure that you know people would live in or a structure for public use. And I really enjoy just like beautiful spaces and buildings and things like that. So I'm not necessarily particularly visual, so I don't know how, how well it would have worked out. Maybe I could have compensated, but um, I've often, I enjoy learning about that field just as a personal interest and I guess as a homeowner. And maybe if I could go back and do it again, I'd, I'd do that. Or maybe, you know, landscape, to, I don't know, but some something in that field. Very cool. Well, you know, with experience becomes creativity. So you know, I know that I've seen you get creative with these systems. I'm sure you could architect an amazing structure. So you've done a lot of work around Marketo. And there's a lot of other marketing automation softwares on the planet, and you probably know those as well. But um, when I think of Justin, I think of Marketo, and I want to know why you've personally branded yourself around Marketo. Yeah, it's a good question. I think that was a deliberate choice I made fairly early on. Um, as I you know, went through that evolution that I described of realizing, like, oh, I'm not actually such a pure marketer. I'm sort of a marketing-adjacent technology and operations person and wasn't that's become like sort of a cool thing to be now there's a bit of cachet associated with that role i don't think it was as much at the time like that was the era of like growth hacking and everybody like if you could like hack some growth and and do like cool things that generated a lot of demand like that was sort of the cool thing to be doing and operations wasn't uh, at least in the circles that i ran and got getting as much focus but that was what i was attracted to and then I started to see that, you know, in the Marketo community, there were people that were really hitching their um, their star to that product and really branding themselves. I'm thinking people like Josh Hill, like early in the day, he really took that yeah. on, took that mantle on and became kind of Mr. Marketo. And I think led the way for for lots of people among among others, but he was, you know, very prominent at that time. And um, I could see what it, what it was doing for his, his career. So I kind of... Um, Saw that, that sort of thing and and made the decision that that was kind of a great path to go on. It was a good ecosystem, a bit smaller, let's say, than the Salesforce ecosystem, which is such a big pond, uh, but still not so small that it would limit your opportunity. There was lots of demand and growth, and Marketo was a great, great platform to be around. A lot of excitement, passionate brand advocates. So um, really looked for ways to do that, became a user group leader, um, 
participated a lot in the Marketo community, answering a ton of questions. That was a great way to learn also to sort of, again, the exposure that was necessary to become a Marketo champion at that early stage of that program. Um, and, and then just sort of built, built that up from there. So I would say that was a great um, path to follow for me. It really helped me establish myself in consulting uh, to go deep in one platform. Some people do the opposite. They will try to acquire a number of different platforms and I don't, um, you know, judge kind of one, one path or the other. I can just say this has worked well for me. I think eventually, um, you know, we're getting to a place where it's never just one platform anymore. It's always kind of something broader than, than that. Even, uh, Marketo's not going anywhere, but I think expanding beyond it and looking more these days, I think the focus is more around enterprise automation as a whole for us and, and for me. And so the types of things I'm thinking about now is not just how do I automate this one section of marketing, but how do we stitch together all these different tools and apps and different things? And I know that's something that you think about a lot too. Um, how do we get that whole thing to work together as seamlessly and as efficiently as possible? And to me, that's kind of where the, you know, the future is headed. Yeah, absolutely. I'm, Wondering, you know, during your time working with data, has there ever been a, a dirty data disaster that will never leave your mind? A few. <laughs> um, once I uh, I helped a client integrate Marketo and Salesforce, and I forgot to turn on the field blocking rules in Marketo. And some clients don't use those, you know, that significantly. But um, but this client really really did and didn't want. Um, didn't want values in Salesforce being overridden by Marketo. And so that few month gap until we realized what was going on caused a lot of uh, data degradation. And we had to, uh, to go through a process of reverse engineering all the data changes that had happened and like rebuilding, like putting Humpty Dumpty back together again. So that was probably my worst, my worst data. And I learned a lot about how to actually do that. Maybe there's a product idea for you if you want to work that in, how to, un, how to undo um, those sorts of data disasters. But um, that is certainly a mistake. You know, you only make that sort of mistake once. Now it's like, did I check the field block? Like you're going to think about that immediately. So it gets sort of seared in your, in your brain. But that was, that was about the worst of it from a time and expense to correct point of view. Hey, you, you mentioned earlier that Salesforce was kind of that big pond and, you know, you, you know, Marketo is big enough to just learn one system. I mean, it keeps expanding. And um, tell me a little bit about how you've seen Marketo and its ability to manage the entire life cycle of a customer uh, over the last 10 or so years that you've been using the tool. That's an interesting question. I mean, I, I still think that we haven't seen a lot of disruption, let's say, in the marketing automation space. It's really, if anything, further consolidation and um, maybe we'll see like another big, big player. But usually when we see new entrants into the field, they're more from like the SMB mid-market angle, maybe like an active campaign or something like that. But really, you got like your HubSpot, your Pardot, your Marketo, your Eloqua, and maybe Acton, and and it's been pretty stable. And I think of all of those, Marketo is still, um, you know, to the I'm, certainly I'm biased because because of, of what I've done and my exposure. But everything that I've seen whenever I do migrations, I still think Marketo is uh, is the best, and the best because it's giving you a tool set that you can use, right? Like 
the smart campaign is the key innovation really in Marketo. And they've added new things, but I don't think they've ever topped that feature, that basic ability to go, if this, then that. I mean, everything boils down to these abstractions away from kind of programmatic concepts that give business users the ability to create um, those developer-like uh, or like software programming-like workflows without needing to have those technical skills. So that was a, a key innovation Marketo has enabled that. I think what's changed is that the universe, the constellation of things that you want to tie together has expanded. So maybe in the beginning you'd have like Marketo and you'd run your life cycle or whatever. And then, oh, we're going to bring in Ringlead, let's say, to DDo, you know, put that webhook in, call out to that system. But after a certain point in time, you're starting to call out to so many different systems. And the reporting needs get more complicated. The routing needs get more complicated. Everything gets more complicated. So all of a sudden coordinating all of this, it isn't even really a marketing challenge anymore. It's almost like a enterprise architecture, like system design challenge, like the race conditions and the waiting and do you put wait steps and how do you make sure that this happens before that and how do you ensure that errors are going to handle gracefully and resolve. And So I still think that Marketo is the best um, system of execution for what it does within that marketing sphere. But I think increasingly there's other systems that need to surround it in various ways, um, filling in those gaps. And um, increasingly, I'm less I'm less convinced that all of that processing needs to kind of originate in Marketo and be coordinated directly from it. And I almost think that maybe Marketo is going to do more, or a system like it's going to do more of that execution work and maybe more of that, that pre-processing logic, I think is a phrase you used earlier, um, might happen with within another system. Might be better placed with another system, and and obviously every situation is unique. But um, what's that? What's that? You know, coming back to structure and, and system design. What's that elegant design that ties everything together, makes it as efficient as possible? And that's where my my mind goes. Yeah, I mean, um, speaking of that, the market in general, you're starting to see a lot of overlap in technologies that once sat in you know a, a very defined lane. And, you know, because we all sat in a very defined lane, you started seeing stacks and stacks of technologies being plugged in to our ecosystems like Marketo or Salesforce. Um, but what do you see in that market, you know, moving forward? Um, do you see consolidation? Do you see, you know, specialization? Uh, what would really help, um, you know, kind of improve all of our usability on these systems? If I only knew, right, I would be uh, a richer man than I, than I am today. No, I mean, it's so you may remember like five, six years ago, what was the big debate? It was like best of breed versus, versus like the buying the cloud, like build, build your own cloud or buy the cloud of like, do you just go like Salesforce's cloud or Oracle's cloud or whatever, you know, just all this. Uh, and I think what we saw is in a way it was a false dichotomy because all the clouds, the big name clouds, it's sort of been built by acquisition. And it was really just a bunch of tools with like the same logo stamped on them, but they're underneath the hood. Most of them didn't talk to each other all that well anyway. So fundamentally, you fell back to that same problem of how do you get all these tools to be interoperable? How do you coordinate all of those activities? And I was always very much firmly in, in the camp of best of breed because it just seemed like seemed to make more sense that you could uh, have the functionality you wanted and stitch it together. I think the, the rise of APIs that, um, again, even the number of business users that knew what an API was, let alone to talk to it um, themselves, let's say uh, five or 10 years ago, 
versus today has radically changed. So people understand APIs a bit better. And the rise of tools that allow you to just sort of easily plug and play um, your trays, your ricottos, all those sorts of things. That's really changed things. So I still uh, would say that best of breed is the way to go. But I think what's missing from the picture is like the coordination of it all. Meaning that if you're if you're manually stitching together all of these different tools and maintaining rules in separate places, you, you could easily end up with dysfunction. You're going to end up with like the Franken stack that nobody wants, where and, and you're constantly just going to be troubleshooting and wrapping duct tape around all of those those fixtures. So, um, for me, where things are going is that I think increasingly we're going to be looking at tools that, from one perspective or another, are um, trying to orchestrate all of those things together, um, providing like an orchestration layer that spans across it. I know Ring, like Ringley's got one approach to that, which I think is very interesting. There are other approaches, but by hook or by crook, you need to kind of get all that together, um, sequence it, handle errors gracefully, something that's going to stitch that together for you so that you are not just spending all your time, you know, uncovering leaks and, and trying to plug them because that doesn't work very well. Absolutely. Um, you know, let's switch gears a little bit towards creating demand. I think that a lot of, you know, a lot of times when I go into a new business relationship, it always boils back down to like, well, who do you actually sell to? You know, uh, if I'm evaluating a business, um, in any way, whether I want to work there, I want to buy it, whatever. Um, who do you sell to? Who, who's your ideal customer profile? Right. And, and for me, when it comes to B2B, it's like, okay, before you start talking about people you sell to, tell me about the businesses that you sell to. And I'm wondering if you guys do any work or you have any backgrounds or unique approaches to identifying ideal profiles uh, at the account level. Um, for better targeting at the marketing and sales level? Like what do you guys do with your clients to create profiles on who they should target? That's an interesting question. Um, You know, some things don't change all that much. And I think um, one of the very earliest lessons I learned in marketing was just the importance of knowing your customer, you know, whoever they are. And the best thing for that for me was actually like the voice of the customer. So I did a lot of work with qualitative surveys, feedback, actually getting people to tell you, you know, what they wanted, customer interviews. And that has never uh, led me astray. And I think the more we still focus like data and AI and all this, you know, all this kind of stuff, which, um, which has its place, obviously, uh, we can't get away from just like understanding customers, pain points, what keeps them up at night? Um, that's that's the heart of effective uh, product development, sales, and marketing. If you don't have that, you're just you're putting window dressing over a big a big void. Let's say. Um, so that's that's the way I would think about that problem. Is you know who, who's your customer? What keeps them up at night? Um, what what do they want? And then you you build it out from there um, using you know methods that are fairly well known. So I don't think there's like a a secret sauce to that per se. I just think that people can get a bit um, maybe lazy or, or, or just skip that step. They try to take shortcuts around that and like, oh, let's get the tech, let's get the intent data, let's get, you know, let's layer on all that stuff. 
And if you haven't done your basic homework to understand who you're selling to and you don't you don't know what really keep, you haven't taken walked a mile in their shoes. I'm lucky in in some ways that like the clients that I have are all people like me. They're all in marketing operations or marketing, so I I understand that. And if you're not doing that, then you need to do that work to really. But I've you know had to build products for accountants. You know, I'm not an accountant, but I by the time I finished that job, I knew accountants really really well. And I think people got to do that same same effort to walk a mile in your customer's shoes. Yeah, I found that like before you start looking at, you know, industry, employee size, revenue, it's always important to look at, okay, well, what are the customers that have the best usage data, right? Um, if you're going to survey customers, right, what about the ones that are using certain features, functionality, and using it at its greatest, you know, levels? And then right. the ones that renew for many years, it's all about the right. customer. So it's like, hey, yeah. what's the one with the lowest cost of acquisition, but creates the least amount of cases, but uses the heck out of your software, renews and upsells. And then you layer the data on that. Like, okay, now let's go find more companies that have probably similar use cases and interview them, right? Like actually get out and speak to your customers, use surveys. Um, we use SurveyMonkey, but... There's a lot of those out there. Yeah, I mean, I, I had an old uh, old boss, uh, was like the marketing leader at the company where I was, and that was that was the thing that he he tasked me to do at one point, like get on the phone with with clients, and that was like anytime I think that you feel like you've lost your north star and what you're trying to do, I think that's that's the key. Get on the phone with and just have those conversations, and it awakens insights, understanding things that aren't easily quantifiable. But you just get, or, or you may hear like, whoa, this is the language or the problem, the way they described it, the way they thought about it, something that you couldn't have thought. As I said, it's not, it's not a technological secret weapon. It's really um, something very simple. And yet, how many marketers have picked up the phone and actually spoken to a live customer You know, in the last six months? I don't know if half of them would say yes. I mean, I would maybe, maybe less, um, maybe a lot less. So... Yeah, I don't know why more people don't do that, to be honest. It's great advice. Um, you know, one other thing that I think is just really annoying, but also I don't think people understand the impacts of, is there's CRM, which is technically it's an account database. You know, you, you also have your SAP, your Oracle, and that suite. So those are really the account database. But then you've got Salesforce, which is it's housing accounts, and then you've got leads and leads don't natively sync to accounts. And then you've got persons in your marketing system. And so natively, these systems don't just conjoin the person object to the account object. And if they do, they don't do it with much intelligent logic. Um, what are the negative impacts of not having a conversion or at least a, a relationship link between leads in a B2B database to their respective account? Well, probably the worst situation is like where the left hand doesn't know what the right hand is doing, right? So you've got uh, rep number one prospecting in that account on the account object. Rep number two is following up with the lead that just came in. And so you've got a lot of wasted effort, redundancy, duplication. So, I mean, that's that's probably the worst from just a client-facing perspective because it'd be like, I just got a call from 
you folks like yesterday from somebody like, don't, don't you, is anybody home over there? Do you know what you're doing? Like it really creates a perception of incompetence. So that's, you know, probably the biggest risk aside from that could just be lack of insight. So you're dialing into somebody that you think is just an inbound lead and maybe you don't realize that there's another business unit that's already a customer or you don't have all the information or you haven't, you don't have a good sense of the account mapping. So um, the information available to a seller, let's say, or to a marketer who's running a campaign is a lot more impoverished than if you were had accurately mapped that against the account and had all the right information available. That's number two. Uh, and then, you know, the risk of duplicates as well, because if a salesperson who's on the account starts doing something, they may then go create a co- contact that duplicates, duplicates that lead rather. So now you've got history, activity, campaigns split across multiple different places. So you've created an attribution problem and even more of a sort of sales 360 perspective problem. Um, so those are the big ones. There's others, but really uh, those are the ones that come up for me. Yeah, absolutely. I, I, I always think back to the, you know, when when the investors come back to the board meeting and you just spent, you know, however much you did on Dreamforce as an exhibitor, and they're like, where is the return on this investment? Like, you guys didn't close more than a handful of deals. And you're like, 90% of the time, the person that comes to your booth or meets you at the dinner is not the person who then comes and fills out the website on your form three weeks later and gets attributed to that website visit being the reason for this opportunity, you know? So I think like, you know, if you're just leaving leads as their own object and you're not associating them, then how do you track all that campaign history on the account level and attribute, you know, a journey of that account to try to mimic that for you know later activity right how do you prove that the trade shows or the multi-channel efforts are actually impacting uh at the account level if you can't even link those after those campaign histories to that account and um it's just a shame it's a shame that these systems don't just make that process part of their native functionality Oh yeah, you're right. You're right, certainly. And the and the reporting impact is a big piece of that. Um I think in some ways the reporting question is an even deeper problem. And you know, we we do a lot of attribution work and I've spoken about attribution and, and you know, believe that it's important, but even so there are there are limits to how effectively we're able to you know, it's a messy, complicated world out there, right? And you kind of alluded to it, like someone comes by the booth, they talk to somebody else, they visit over here, and we can kind of get closer and converge on and approximate a picture of the truth in these systems. But you're never going to reflect with absolute fidelity everything. That's how, you know, it's an impossible uh, possible task. And um, that's a problem because we like to kind of have everything really locked down. And like, we have this trade show produced exactly... $400,532 of revenue, you know, whatever. But um, the truth is a lot messier, unfortunately. Yeah, I, we only have a few more minutes. I, I want to just ask you as a Marketo expert, you know, talking to others who may be in similar shoes, what level of, like, I know you know Salesforce, right? Like, Justin knows Salesforce, like, any Salesforce, you know, expert I know, how important is that for a Marketo expert to know 
you know, the ins and outs of Salesforce at a very high level. And, and, and what recommendation can you make on you know, getting more um, knowledge of, of, of the Salesforce system so that you can improve your Marketo capabilities? I think it's very important. I mean, Salesforce is not the only CRM out there. So you may we have a lot of Dynamics customers. Um, that's sort of its own, own little ecosystem. But Salesforce is by far the biggest CRM player. And, and if your organization uses it, I think it's incredibly important, not just because the two systems talk to each other and you need to be able to you know, speak the language of sales operations and your CRM admin, but so many of the tasks that you might have or troubleshooting that you need to do is dependent upon understanding Salesforce. I was fortunate that I was a Salesforce admin, like managing my own org as well as Marketo. So I spent just as much time, if not more, inside Salesforce and actually really enjoy it. I actually really like, it was one of my favorite things was helping salespeople or the customer success team that use Salesforce. Like when you could do something that delivered on a, like a feature for them and made their day, made their lives easier. That was a great feeling. Um, they're very grateful and it's like a, a great win. So um, I think that's a critical part of your stack. Even if you're not that you're in a bigger company where you're not going to be owning both systems, um, you need to know it from a troubleshooting perspective. And also just eventually any complicated thing that you do besides sending email, like any operational workflow, whether it's scoring or lifecycle or routing, or it's going to span both systems. So you need to know what you're, what you're doing. You need to understand um, the limitations, the gotchas, the object model on the Salesforce side, what automations are available over there. There's limitations in Marketo, you know, depending on what you want to do, they may have a need to, um, to use automations on the Salesforce side. So to have that credibility and trust, and when I can get on a call with a CRM team or a sales ops team and be able to speak their language as a consultant, that's a vital skill. So um, Salesforce, fortunately, has one of the best ecosystems for learning you know, that I've ever seen. They have probably the best out there. They have, you get a developer org to play with in five seconds for free. Uh, Trailhead is amazing, like actually is checking real live work you're doing in the systems. So there's no excuse not to be Salesforce fluent and no excuse to be certified, not be certified either. Eventually, although I, as I say that, I'm not actually even certified. It's one of my things that I just have been meaning to do one of those days. But, um, but yeah, I think, I think it's critical. And, uh, and you know, if that's the tool that you're running into, you, you have, you have to know it to function effectively. We've worked together, you know, a few times and we love Procuto. I think you guys do amazing work, you know, even at the enterprise scale, right? You guys have a very unique offering um, and, and even some products. But can you just on our, you know, at, at the end of the, the show here, tell us a little bit about Procuto, what makes you guys unique and, um, you know, how you're out there helping customers every day? So we're marketing operations consultancy, uh, specializing really in the Adobe ecosystem, specifically on Marketo. So that's one of the things that makes us a bit different. There's a lot of shops out there kind of have their fingers in a number of different platforms. Um, we made a decision very early on, you know, focus solely on Marketo. I have a lot of depth there. I have, I have a really talented bench um, on the Marketo side. And really only recently have kind of expanded some of our offering. And now we also are a Ricardo Gold partner. So 
we um, we do a lot of work with that platform as well, but very much focused on the needs of marketing operations. Um, that again is a perhaps a point of differentiation. We don't really do content marketing. We don't do demand strategy. Uh, we're really focused on the mobs professional and how do we help them achieve excellence, um, along with sort of operational workflows and and setting up the infrastructure. We also help companies with campaign execution. And you mentioned products. We have uh, kind of a sister company that makes products. One of them is Jetto, which is a tool for campaign execution. Um, the thing that I think really differentiates us uh, is you know, the, we have the Marketo expertise, but there's a lot of other folks that, that do too. I don't think that's anyone can claim absolute uniqueness or, you know, someone knows more features than someone else. So I think that's critical. It's table stakes, but it only takes you so far. Where I see a lot of differentiation um, on what we do is really around process. One of our co-founders is a Lean Six Sigma black belt and process has been built into Percuto from a very early stage. And so the work that we've done to develop methodologies to deliver quality work at scale is um, is not something I've necessarily seen elsewhere in our ecosystem. Uh, and that extends from the way we manage projects, defining requirements, documentation that we provide, the QA, all that comes together to deliver repeatable, successful outcomes, no matter who you're working with at Percuto. Um, that's you know, taken some work to get there and something that I think is unique. Very nice. Well, uh, thank you so much, Justin, for joining us on today's podcast. We enjoyed having you and you know, look forward to staying in touch and building this community together. Yeah, likewise. Thanks, John. Always a pleasure and appreciate you having me on. All right. Have a great day. You too.